Thank you for choosing to listen to the sermons of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We meet at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. And if you're ever in our area, we would love to have you as our guests. If you live in our area, we would love to study the Bible with you. You can call us anytime to study a Bible study or just to gain more information at 205-486-9247. Also visit our website, 9thAvenueCofC.com or check us out on Facebook by simply searching for 9th Avenue Church of Christ. Now we hope you'll join us for a study of God's Word as we seek to follow Him each and every day from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. You know, sometimes huge things and profound things come in just tiny little packages. I thought about bringing this with me today, but Leah and I just celebrated our 19th wedding anniversary earlier this this past week, and I wanted to make sure I celebrated our 20th, so I didn't bring it with me, but... She has a t-shirt that's my favorite t-shirt that she owns. It's from the Hershey's Chocolate Factory in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And on the front of that t-shirt is a Hershey's Kiss. And it says something along the lines of, The best things come in the smallest packages. And I thought about having Leah stand up this morning, but I knew I wouldn't get to my 20th wedding anniversary if I did that. But that is my favorite, and I just got a look saying, You may not make it to 19 and a half. (laughs) But I love that shirt. We know that sometimes wonderful things come in small packages. How many ladies receive an engagement ring that's only an inch or two in diameter? And yet we know that tiny little thing represents so much more. It's a powerful thing. And I say that to get to this. You you may have thought it was strange this morning that our scripture reading was just one verse in length. But if you paid attention to that one verse you know that that verse contains so many wonderful and major themes from Scripture. We're calling our lesson this morning, Three Big Lessons from One Small Verse. And if you have your Old Testament, I hope you'll turn back to that verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. We'll read it again together in just a moment. But I wanted to study this singular verse this morning for two reasons. First, because I want us to study this verse because it contains some of the most major themes that we could possibly ever consider. And I hope we just simply let our minds dwell on those themes for just a few moments together this morning. But I also wanted to study just one verse this morning to challenge each and every one of us as we read and study God's Word. There is so much packed into the Bible. By that I mean, it can be so easy to read past a verse or through a passage and not really pause and let our mind really think on all that's really there. Each word, each phrase, each thought. But when we do what the psalmist told us to do, and that is to meditate on the Word of God, in other words, let our minds really stop and dwell on it, we'll be amazed at what's really there. That beautiful verse, Ecclesiastes 3 and 11, reads, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. From that one verse, and there are other things you could find and other themes you could study, but I want us this morning to notice three themes or three big lessons. The beauty of life, the blessing of eternity, and the boundary of humanity. First of all, notice with me the beauty of life. You might recall the book that this is found in, the book of Ecclesiastes, 
is a book that contains the writings of one who is wrestling with the big issues of life. You may remember the book opens with that phrase, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Or the, the things are vain, they're worthless. Everything is meaningless, if you want to think of it that way. But in reality, what the writer of Ecclesiastes is struggling with is what really matters. When all is said and done, what really matters? Is it the things of this life or is it those things that are transcendent and spiritual? He's already in the book laid out the fact that he had tried nearly everything in order to find happiness or fulfillment. He's tried money. He's tried labor. He's tried wisdom. He's tried entertainment and on and on and on the list goes. Basically, He's tried self-indulgence. In fact, last night in the progressive meeting, Brother Vance Hutton mentioned the passage from Ecclesiastes where Solomon wrote, All that my eyes desired, I did not deprive them of those things. He's tried all of that. And he didn't find anything with true long-term meaning. And so in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, he seems to be beginning, uh, beginning to make peace with this perspective. In the opening eight verses of the chapter, there's that famous list of all those things that there is time for in this life. The screens say verse 2. I should have put up there verse 1 because the key phrase is found at the opening of the chapter. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter or every purpose under heaven. Some of the things on that list that follows are things that are quite serious. Things like life and death and love and war. Some of the things on that list may seem like more normal things to life. Tearing and sowing, keeping, casting away, those sorts of things. They're important to the day-to-day things of life, but they may not seem to be as transcendent as love and hate and so on and so forth. But the writer, who again I believe to be Solomon, is saying that when we gain that perspective, there is a proper order to things that will happen in time. But they may not be on our time. Or our timetable. And with that in mind, then the writer says down in verses 9 and 10, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business, noted the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Do you see he's gaining some perspective? Is it wrong to work? Well, of course not. The Bible makes it clear we must be diligent in our labor. Is it wrong if you look back up in that list to to, to laugh, for example? Of course not. So long as those things are not sinful in and of themselves, they're just a part of life. But God has given these things. And with that, you have the first point. He, that is God, has made everything beautiful in its time. The point is this. The beauty of life cannot be forced or pushed by our impatience. The beauty of life is seeing things as best we can from the perspective that God would have us to see them from and understanding that they all fit together in a grand tapestry that honors Him. We see that in the natural order of things. In fact, if you're in Ecclesiastes, you might have to turn back one page, but look back at Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Because in this very same book, the writer makes it clear that some of these things are seen in the natural order of things. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 5 through 7. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around again to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. 
Now, there's several things to take away from those verses from chapter 1, but we pointed out this morning to point out this. There is a certain predictability to the natural world, to weather cycles, to the sun coming up and going across the sky and setting and somehow coming up on the other horizon again the next morning. And we know there's a predictability to it. But sometimes it doesn't happen in the time we might want it to happen. It happens in God's appointed time, at God's appointed speed, if you will. But the question becomes, do we appreciate that same beauty, that same knowing of God's timetable in our own lives? Or are we always trying to run and push the order or the speed of God? That's not to say, again, that we we don't work. The Bible demands that we be diligent in labor. In fact, Ecclesiastes would talk about that, that we be diligent in our labor, all that our hands find to do. Do it with all of our might. Diligent labor brings God God glory. But we must come to the place where we understand that we cannot force God's hand or we cannot force a change in God's timetable. There is a beauty in knowing that there are going to be seasons of life. Sometimes they are happy. Sometimes they are sad. And frankly, sometimes they are just seasons of life. It's just life. But the reason is simple. That there's a beauty to it. And that is the perspective of time. When we look back over a long stretch of our lives, we begin to appreciate the full tapestry that's there. In the moment, we may not like the negative aspects of life. And in the moment, we may not like the speed at which God is moving, or we may think the speed at which God is not moving. But when we look back, there is a beauty to what God has woven in our lives. The poet put it this way, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to Him. The first thing we understand from Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 is the beauty of life, but it may not be beauty the way we see it. It is the beauty of perspective in understanding God's timetable. Secondly, this morning from this verse, we see the blessing of eternity. God, the verse states, has put eternity into man's heart. That's a powerful thought. Some over the years have taken it in in a negative way. Some have said that the writer has suggested that because they're to be busy with what God has given them to do, verses 9 and 10, that God puts eternity in our heart and, and then just has left us alone to live our lives. That's, I guess, a possible interpretation, but I don't think it fits the rest of Ecclesiastes or the rest of Scripture. Instead, I believe what Solomon is writing here is that God has given within us something that points to the eternal. He has given within us a longing for something beyond ourselves and beyond this life. We have a sense of something beyond ourselves within us. And if we will use it, it will drive our actions, our thoughts, and our attitudes. It is part of having an eternal soul within us that drives us. You know, we love so much about this life, and that's good. God has given us so many good things in this life. But we long for something greater and something beyond, especially when life is not dealing with us the way we might want life to. 
But consider how many cultures, even pagan cultures, have some type of belief in an afterlife. It's virtually universal. Only, I guess only the staunchest of atheists believes that there's absolutely nothing beyond ourselves or beyond this life. I would suggest to you that many of them even have to fight within themselves to believe that. But just think of other cultures. Think of those ancient Egyptian pyramids where the pharaohs were buried with all sorts of treasure and things that they felt would be useful to them in the next life or another life. You see it in certain Eastern religions where the goal was to be reincarnated at a higher level of living, a higher level of transcendence. We finally receive what some religions call nirvana and so on and so forth. There are certain places in historical Christianity even where people are buried facing east because of the belief is that God would come from the eastern sky. And we look at across the landscape of of groups of people, religious and really not so religious, and there is something within people that longs for something more than just this life. Where does that come from? This verse tells us that God has put it or set it within us. That word for put or set in that verse is a fairly generic word, but at its its most basic level, it reminds us that this is something we are given. It's not something that we get ourselves. In other words, I don't put that sense within myself. The concept of longing had to be put there or placed there by another. And I believe we need to see that as a gift that's been given. When we think beyond this life, we are more likely to treat our fellow men and women the way we should because we will see them as a transcendent being. In other words, a a spiritual being, someone more than just flesh and blood. We will treat others the way they should be treated. But I also need to ask myself, is it not possible? And do I not at times begin to push down that longing? When I only live for the here and now, When I think of only the things of this life, I'm refusing or at least denying that great gift that's been placed within us that helps me think beyond this life. But over time, if we're not careful, we we can begin to push down and silence that which is within us. I hope we never do that. Instead, I hope when we sing words that we really mean them, such as, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I hope we can sing words and really mean them when we sing, I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. You see, God has placed a longing within us. Are we using it as a motivation to live better and to glorify Him and to seek how to live in this life? Or are we pushing it down and denying that great gift we've been given, the blessing of eternity? But one more theme that's found in this verse, one other great lesson, and that is the boundary of humanity. Yes, the verse states that God has placed eternity or put eternity within mankind's heart. But there is a transition in the verse to the fact that we cannot know everything. Because verse 11 ends by saying, Yet so that he, mankind, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. It is a reminder, that phrase is, that although we are everlasting creatures, and though God has given us a soul, To state the matter very bluntly, we are not God. We cannot know everything, nor can we know everything even in this life. In a completely different context, and I'm lifting the phrase I understand, it's as if we see in this life dimly, as Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The fact of the matter is that we can know certain things in this life, and that's good. 
And the fact of the matter is, we can understand God's, if you please, big plan for mankind. That is, the scheme of redemption, those who will be saved, and so on and so forth. But we simply cannot know all that God is doing. And above that, even if we could know all that God was doing, there is no way we could comprehend why or how or when God does everything. Consider what the writer of this very same book had said just a couple of chapters earlier. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 13, he wrote something that's absolutely futile. He said, And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now that's a lofty goal. That's an amazing goal. To seek and to understand all that's done under heaven. He wanted to know everything. Now, there was no way that he could actually know every last thing. But that was his goal, as it were. That was what he set his heart to. But even if that was his goal, he still had to admit there's no way that's true. Because God does not reveal everything to mankind. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 29. And one reason that's true is, as I placed in the family newsletter this week, is that we are not eternal. We may be everlasting. In other words, we will live forever from the time from which we are conceived, but we are not eternal. We had a beginning point. And also, when we die, there's nothing more we can do in this life, but God is always working. God is always acting through His providence to bring about His will in the world. In fact, in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, the writer seems to indicate that. If you glance down at verse 14, the same writer said, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear or, or fall in respect before him. There is simply no way, no matter how much we may want to, that we can do what God does, all that God does, or know all that God knows. But here's the question. Am I okay with that? Now, for some of us, because we're sitting in a worship service on a Sunday morning, we go, well, of course. I know the right answer to that question. Of course I'm okay with that. After all, he's God. I'm not God. I understand that. Of course we know that's the right answer. But the natural follow-up question then is, do I live like I'm okay with that? For many of us, we want all the answers. We, we want not only what Scripture reveals, but I want to know what God is up to in every facet of everything all the time. And I have to admit, sometimes I'm like that. I don't understand why this happened and why that didn't happen. I don't understand why this happened the way it did or why that happened the way it did or, or why it didn't happen or in the time that it happened. No, we, we want the answers. And that's a natural longing. And, of course, sometimes we take it even further and we say, well, I, I prayed for this even and it didn't happen. So, so why pray? Or we ask some similar question along those lines. In reality, what we're saying is we want to know what God knows and we want to know why God does, what God does, in the way God does, at the time God does. But do we really want to know that? While the easy answer to that question is yes, I think if we understood even the most minuscule percentage of what God does and why God does what He does in the time that He does, our minds simply could not comprehend it. God is often protecting us by what we perceive as silence because we cannot see the full picture. We cannot see even the full picture, really, of our life because all we can see is what has happened up to this time. We cannot see the rest of our lives. 
And we certainly cannot see all that's happening in other people's lives. Beyond that, we certainly cannot see all that's happening in every life in the world. And beyond that, we certainly cannot see all that has happened in the world, is happening in the world, and will happen in the world. And yet somehow God does. We have boundaries that God simply does not have. And for that, we should actually be grateful. But there is coming a day when we will understand it better by and by. For now, we need to accept that God's plan is bigger and fuller, and frankly, it's more amazing than we could ever imagine. Even if it means that I just don't get it for the moment. That's our boundary. All of that from one verse. The Bible is so rich. But aren't those themes that we study from this verse, those lessons, aren't they lessons that we need to have constantly going in our minds? Life is messy at times, and we cannot understand what's going on all the time. But God has made this life one where if we'll live it in faith to Him, we can enjoy it in good ways, and we can gain a greater perspective over time. In fact, this very same book of Ecclesiastes makes that clear. The very same book tells us that life can be enjoyed in certain ways. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 12 and 13. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We can see from Ecclesiastes that God has given life as a gift. Chapter 5 and verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. And we can see that life also, with many pleasures, has been given by God's gracious hand. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 9 states, Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Yes, life may have difficulties. In fact, the verses we just read have certain words like vain or toil and so on and so forth, making it clear that there are some difficulties in this life. And there may be days, there may be seasons of life where we think as the writer of Ecclesiastes thought, it's just all vanity. It's just all meaningless. But it is a gift from God that we can see the bigger perspective if we just will. And what is that perspective? It's how Ecclesiastes ends. Have you ever considered that the same three lessons that we've gained from Ecclesiastes 3.11 are all found in the conclusion of the whole matter? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. May I change the terminology slightly? That's what makes life beautiful. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Right there is a sense of the eternal. With every secret thing, there's our boundary. We can't hide anything from the all-knowing and all-wise God, whether good or whether bad. This morning, may I return to one illustration as we extend the Lord's invitation. Are you looking at your life only from the upper side of the tapestry? Or are you realizing that God, the grand weaver, is weaving a picture, a tapestry, far more amazing than we see in the moment? Do you trust Him with the full picture of your life? 
Romans 8.28 continues to say, Not that all things are good, but that God works all things for good to those who love Him and who are the called according to His purpose. Do you really believe that verse this morning? Are you actually living as if you believe that verse this morning? May I ask this morning, if you have never given your life to the one who knows all, can do all, sees all, and has given you the guide for life, will you do that this morning? He's told us how. If you'll believe that He sent His Son, Jesus, into the world, if you'll repent of sin, those things that separate you from God, those things you've done wrong, if you'll repent of those things, turn from them. If you'll confess that the one who came into the world, Jesus, really is the Lord and Savior of your life. And if you'll be baptized, that means immersed in water, your sins will be washed away. At that point, you will be a Christian, one who is a follower of Christ and a child of God. If you've never done that, make that decision this morning. This morning, as a Christian, are you really living in a way that says, I trust Him. I trust Him with the tapestry of my life, even if I don't understand it in the moment. If not, maybe He wants to pray with you for encouragement. Or maybe there's some sin in your life that needs to be forgiven and you need to return in faithfulness to Him. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. If you'll come, I'll be staying and sing to encourage you.